so much has changed in such a very fast amount of time, but also so much is still the same. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for some bonus content to our season one podcast, Cole at Sunset, a Colorado town in transition. I'm your host, Kristen Uhlenbrock. And from the Institute for Science and Policy at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, I'm excited to bring you an update on what's been happening in Craig, Colorado, and our energy transition. It's been almost two years since we shared the story of Craig, Colorado, and the forthcoming closures of the coal power plant. Over the next two episodes, we'll hear from some of our former guests and new ones, reflecting on what's changed, what hasn't, and what the road ahead looks like. We're coming back to this story to provide a first-hand glimpse into how Colorado's energy transition will ultimately affect us all. I hope you enjoy. The town of Craig, Colorado looks mostly the same. From the gas station with electric car chargers as you enter town, to the coal-fired power station off in the distance still producing energy. But there are some changes underway, both visible and not. So I sat down to talk with Kirsty McPherson and Jennifer Holloway, residents of Craig, guests from season one, and two dynamic individuals who wear a lot of different hats. I wanted to hear about what's different or not. It really is super impressive how many people are going up to bat for these energy communities. I sit in some of these meetings and stuff, and I get actually quite emotional about it because people who have never even been to Moffitt are huge stewards of what we're trying to do next. This is Kirsty McPherson, the Community and Economic Development Manager for the Colorado Office of Just Transition, a local business and real estate owner, and a behavioral economist. This is the very first time in history that an industry transition of this magnitude is getting this level of support ever. If you want to look back on history, look at how the timber industry transitioned. At some point, hopefully we end up apologizing to those folks. The Colorado Office of Just Transition was the first of its kind in the nation. We spoke with the director, Wade Buchanan, during season one, as the office was just getting off the ground. The Office of Just Transition helps communities and workers transitioning away from the mining and burning of coal as an energy source. Other states are setting up similar types of government offices and initiatives too, including Minnesota, New York, Montana, and many others. In addition to a dedicated government agency, there are many others providing their time and resources to help. I think probably the biggest thing that I've noticed is just the amount of support from different organizations that have stepped up that have really no knowledge or history of Craig much beforehand. We also have seen a huge amount of state engagement within the area that is a little bit different than what it was a couple years ago. There's a ton of resources that didn't exist beforehand. But some of the conversations on what that investment should look like remained the same. We've also seen a lot of new businesses pop up. And so I think our downtown is pretty different than what it was a couple years ago as well. And we're seeing a lot more private investment in the entire area. A ton of new people moving into the community. 
A lot of folks moving in from the Denver area, the majority of them are people wanting to escape quote-unquote city life for a slower pace, and Craig and Moffat County remain to be one of the most affordable places in the state to live. Jennifer Holloway also joined me in conversation with Kirsty. Jennifer is the executive director of the Craig Chamber of Commerce and Moffat County Visitor Center. She acknowledges that in addition to the dollar investments, she's seen some other changes. We've been able to create relationships at a broader level that I don't think our community has ever had. Support from our Senate and House at the state and the federal level. I feel like we really have a set of cheerleaders pulling for us and partners that will help when we know the direction we want to go in. And as soon as our community can get to that point, we have a lot of potential moving forward and a lot of support. We've been working a lot better with our neighbor upstream, Steamboat Springs, as well as trying to connect more with Rio Blanco County and looking at our region as a whole, from Steamboat clear to Dinosaur National Monument. There is a significant amount of money flowing into the state, from COVID relief dollars to the bipartisan infrastructure law to the Inflation Reduction Act. For example... The Inflation Reduction Act will provide Colorado with $13.2 billion to invest in clean power generation and storage between now and 2030. The challenge is how to get that money into communities and projects quickly. There are lots of ideas, but there still seems to be a lingering question about which direction to go. So this is a, a risky conversation, right? I think that there is an inherent fear of risk-taking, and if leadership says, we're going to do this thing and it fails, then likely they're not going to get reelected. So there's that kind of component to it, which is basic human nature and how things are done. So we have the fear factor, and that really drives a lot of the pieces going forward on how things end up progressing and moving. And then I also think the reality is, too, is it's really hard when you have a community really in the entire Yampa Valley that are so small and they're being ran by three people. Maybe you're lucky enough to have an economic development person full time. Maybe you're lucky enough to have a city and county manager. Realistically, do you? No. Definitely don't probably have a full time grants administrator and manager, which is a huge piece. And so we also are seeing an insane amount of money and programs being thrown on the state and federal level that is overwhelming the communities as a whole. Yeah, and we're stuck in that egg and chicken place, too. Uh, Kirstie mentioned capacity. There are a lot of funds available. There are a lot of entities that want to help. But our organizations are already at capacity. And to set up a system that will be long-term is pretty risky when you're relying on grants for one year. Do you hire a whole person? And with specifically the power plants and the mine closing, we have this great labor force, but they're not available right now. So we can't really have a business come in and use that labor because they're gonna stay at the plant until the day they close. I think the inherent model of, okay, the community can tell us 
Like, we're going to fund a strategy or we're going to fund a facilitator from the state or federal side, and they're going to end up doing this work, and then good luck with the implementation. But at least that way the community can say, oh, this is what we want to be. I think we should start looking at that model in the inverse, and this community needs to start paying for the strategies or the facilitators, and then the funding should actually be for implementation. Very rarely do we ever see funding for implementation. But like, I think Moffat County, I was ta- like tallying them all up. We have something like eight or nine facilitators on the ground this summer, and they're going to be talking to the same 35 to 40 people. Imagine the fatigue and the exhaustion that those people are going to have by the end of all this. And then what do you see out of it? Because there's very rarely ever money for implementation. So it gets to be a a really frustrating cycle for everyone involved, from the state side, from everyone, because everyone's like, well, why aren't we moving this forward? But it's like we only do about 75 percent, and that 75 percent, we're like, okay, well, that was really good. The 25 percent is the most important part. And that's the part that we seem to, like, lose stamina on. First off, I think as communities and as all of us, we need to recognize that this level of money isn't going to exist for very long. There is a very tiny window here, and we have to do some really big work in a very tiny amount of time. Are we creating systems that are actually going to last long? Again, it's that vision. Or are we just throwing money on the table and we're just doing the quick sidewalk projects? We have a ton of money being filtered into local governments who are, again, exhausted as they should be, because could you imagine doing 87 jobs in a day? I can't. I think that it's a puzzle and we have missing puzzle pieces all over the place. I think you also need to recognize in a rural community, we don't have the variety of mindsets and assets and skill sets that are coming into those discussions to give us these options, right? So we are kind of in a small pool of people that are getting overworked, capacity is overextended, plus we don't know what we don't know. So coming up with new visions and new ideas for our community, it's actually kind of short-sighted to say we should do it all on our own. I think it's good to have input from other communities, other places in the world even, because we have to know and become part of that new world and inclusion and diversity is part of that, even in a small community. While people in Craig recognize that they can't do this alone, they are still the leaders of their own future. But there is an inherent challenge that we all collectively face. Change. Change is hard. Especially when it's about our sense of self. A major part of this story has always been about identity. And it still is. Here are Kirsty and Jennifer again. What I've seen specifically over the last couple of years, that identity, that is what people are holding on to the most, is that we are a energy town. And also, not just what the culture says, but the communities were literally designed to be energy towns. We keep having the same conversation over and over again. Some of it does get held up because of fear, because of the cultural fear of change, the identity of being a coal community and of providing energy, it keeps our minds a little more narrow, I would say, on opportunities because we keep recycling, okay, we're this, how can we keep being that? 
when reality is we might have to be something different. And we really do need to start thinking of big-time changes that will change our whole region. And we're risk-adverse, and you can't create new things without risk. I mean, for example, Dinosaur National Monument is being changed into a national park. It's a huge, huge opportunity that we need to be looking at in the big picture, in long-term sustainability for our area, but there's so much fear around it, we aren't even making the steps to see if it's, it's feasible when it could be a huge, huge benefit. So I think those risks are, are something we need, to, we need to work on and start figuring out how to be brave as a community. You're a kid and, like, learning to swim for the first time. Like, your toes are wet, you're in the shallow part, and you start getting more comfortable and, like, hey, I'll hang out in the deep end all day. But unless you start going into the water, you have no idea. And so it really is that first step for people. I think we get so caught up on what we think people are going to think or what happens if it doesn't work out. What happens if it does? I think that that is the biggest part is people are always afraid of the what happens if it doesn't work. Everyone's going to look at me like a failure. No, I promise you they're not. They're probably actually not even going to pay attention. <laughs> I mean, people are rooting for you to succeed and fail at the same exact rate every single day. There is a lesson in this as well with the urban and rural divide and how we can come together. And I think Colorado is in a prime place right now to learn about each other, to heal that, and to connect that. I think sometimes we get bogged down in the challenge and, and the it's not fair because we've worked so hard and now we have to work even harder to create something else that might not be as lucrative as it was before. But we do have a lot of people on our side and a lot of optimistic people that are working really hard. And really, we have so many good people in our state with so much brain power and, and passion. I feel like we can get over any challenge if, if we make sure we're working together on it. There is a strong message I keep hearing. There is no silver bullet, no single solution to help with the tax base and workers. But what will happen with the plant, the workers, the local economy? And while there is friction to those questions, there are ideas and changes underway. Tri-State, they are doing so much work trying to figure out a way to repurpose the plant, to keep what they can in place, to help our community move forward. It's great to have that, but I do think there's a limitation to it also. We need to keep our mind open that, that we have to become more than that. We're not the only place that can produce renewable energy. It's not like it was with the coal in a specific spot and a power plant on a river that creates that ability. I would say our community is, is open-minded to any type of energy production, but we should be realistic about the long-term sustainability because that's why we're in the position we're in now. Because we didn't think long-term, we didn't diversify when we had the option to, so we relied on one industry. And I wouldn't want to see us do that on any other industry, whether it was energy or outdoor rec, anything. We need to keep it diverse. Energy communities have the infrastructure to be energy communities.
if we can retool that plant, that really solves a lot of the tax base pieces and solves some of the workforce questions. Kirstie's work with the Colorado Office of Just Transition is about economic development and supporting coal communities and workers. She spent countless hours hearing stories from Moffitt to Montrose counties and across the state. For many, it comes down to basic needs. The number one thing that people are concerned with is health care. Like, how are we going to make sure that myself and my wife and my four children are going to have proper health insurance after this? Most of the workers, they don't want to leave their job. They, they like their job. It's been great. Um, provides what they need for their family, so they're going to wait as long as they can. So I do have concerns about which businesses people are wanting to start and how they're going to fit into the new economy we have. And so that, I think, is something that we need to provide business education and support, helping people really get business plans together. A lot of the folks I talk to have really great ideas, and they have, when when it's real transferable skills, like welding and and um, things like that, I, I think will go over quite well. But we, we have to make sure that whoever you're selling your product or your service to is still going to be there after the transition. The data leads us to outdoor rec and tourism. Our public land is our highest, you know, it's our biggest asset. I think also regional education hub for, for VOTEC and career cybersecurity, anything that could be transferred anywhere else. We have a great place in our region to, to host that for areas like that are keep growing, like Grand Junction and, and Vail and Steamboat and some of these mountain towns that need that, that, that workforce, we can train them there. I also think the, that remote workforce is going to be a big part of our future because people do want to live out in nature. They want to have their own little mini ranches, and we have an area that people can do that that's still more affordable than most areas, but, but bringing jobs and money from other places. I do think there is potential for some manufacturing, like what Good Vibes is doing, and small-scale, 10 to 50 people, small products that are tailored to specific, probably specifically to outdoor rec, tourism, things that get trendy. The other thing we have there would be our paleontology program. I mentioned Dinosaur National Monument becoming a park. We do have a lot of area that could be used for training tech people, anything with, with agriculture, anything with environmental protection, learning about the different systems, using it for an educational hub with universities all over the world. But I think what it really comes down to is not having all of our cards on one big thing that's going to fix it. Getting in our mindset, we're curating industries. I think we will see a gap unless somehow there is a really great way to repurpose the power plant, keeping those transmission lines open. It doesn't seem feasible to sustain that tax income. And outdoor rec and tourism does not provide that. It will as time moves on, provide great jobs, business opportunities for people that do want to be entrepreneurs, but not, not the level that our community is used to with a great, stable company. Any nonprofit in our area knows if they need help, they call Tri-State. 
or Trapper, and they're there. We're not going to have that at the same capacity, which is why we need to work better as a region and use all of the assets we have to pull together. What will happen to the people at the power plant and the local mine is the elephant in the room. So I wanted to talk to another friend from season one. You may remember Tim Osborne. I'm Tim Osborne. Some of you may know me as the plant manager, but now I'm the vice president of generation for Tri-State. What a a great opportunity for me, starting as a utility worker, uh, working my way up to vice president of an organization like Tri-State is, is in my mind, phenomenal for me and for the the industry. I think it's uh, not normal to have somebody start at the ground floor and work all the way through all the ranks. While Tim now focuses on the generation portfolio for Tri-State, he still thinks of people first. People make the power. People are the ones doing this work. They're the ones on the ground. I think that it's really important that uh, the people understand that their work is valued. It's just a very challenging time that when you have a couple hundred people at a mine and now down to 150 some odd people at the power plant, when you say, okay, this transition is going to affect 350 people, what what are we going to do about that? And that is, that's a real challenge. So from a community standpoint, what can the community do? What marketing are they doing to entice other industry into the community? That's one side of it. Tri-State, what's Tri-State going to do for all these displaced employees? That's another question. The silver bullet, I don't think, is the answer. The river may not be completely the answer. Energy may not be completely the answer, but there is an answer in a multiplicity of, of things. And the Craig community needs to be aware of those and seek them. It's a serious challenge for those communities when you have that, uh, that revenue stream as far as tax base go away. That's a real challenge. What we have tried to do is, is offer the employees any education that they want to go get. Tri-State pays for it. So we've got people that have gone on to get their CDLs so they can be truck drivers. One guy went and uh, got a farrier's, I don't know if that's a license, but he can shoe horses, which is very cool. If you like to be outside and be hunched over doing hard work, we had an engineer go get an environmental engineering degree as well, and she then left. So we do this knowing that the potential is there for the employees, which is a solid base of employees. They can get this education and then transition of their own uh, to somewhere else. And that's that's a real challenge for us because right now we have a, a vacancy for two engineers at, at Craig Station that we have postings out for, but it's very difficult to find the right person with the right skill set because you don't want to bring somebody necessarily brand new into this environment where there's some pretty critical operations that, that have to be right. Tim cares deeply, not only for the workers at the power plant, but for the community. Craig, Colorado is home. I love it there and there's no reason for me to not stay there. From a community standpoint, ideally for me and Craig, I'm good with a small town. I like a small town and I live out in the country on purpose. (laughs) So that's where I'll be. That's at least my plan. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. We certainly like the life that we've had and married directly out of high school. 
continued for the last 38 years now. Been a, a wonderful thing. And as long as we're together, I think we'll just keep doing our thing. From those I've spoken with, I hear the frustration and worry mixed with some cautious optimism. There is a tension. There are dollars. There are passionate people who all want to help this transition in the best way they know how. But people are feeling the pressure that decisions and direction need to be made sooner rather than later. It won't be a simple or straightforward process because long-term planning is hard. But the clock is ticking. I always kind of get frustrated because there seems to be a lack of vision, but I don't necessarily think that that's true or that's fair when everyone is trying to focus so hard on just operating a city on a day-to-day basis. How can you look and plan for 10 years down the road? It's the same for people in general, right? Like I have to pick the kids up from school. I have to cook dinner. I have to make sure the bills are paid. Am I really actually going to have time to set and really vision and plan and like look and recount everything on a day-to-day basis for what I want my life to look like in 10 years? It's the same thing for a community on the macro scale. People are worn out. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're afraid of change. They're afraid of being the risk taker. And so now we have conversations that are happening, but it's really more like the sidewalk conversation, right? What can we do now that's maybe going to make a little bit of a change? But is it really going to make a huge impact in 10 years? No, because the reality is, is you're probably going to need new sidewalks in 10 years. <laughs> How can the people of Craig and beyond not only invest in their community today, but look towards what is possible for the future? There are ideas aplenty. And while Craig is at the forefront of this transition in Colorado, they are not alone. There are conversations happening all across the state and the nation about what to do with our energy infrastructure and workforce and how to make the difficult decisions to decarbonize our society. In our next bonus episode, we'll talk more with Tim Osborne about what Tri-State is thinking and with Christine King from Idaho National Lab about new nuclear energy and transitions happening around the country. Thanks for listening. Coal at Sunset is a production of the Institute for Science and Policy at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. This bonus episode is hosted and written by me, Kristen Uhlenbrock. Trisha Waddell is their producer. Sound design by Jesse Boynton. Thanks to Nicole Delaney and Kate Long. For a full list of credits, check out the show notes. For more information and additional resources on season one and two of our podcast, please visit lawsofnotion.org. If you have learned something new, please tell us and rate and review Laws of Notion wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the podcast with others.